Hi everybody, this is General Tyler, and I promised Zach at a point later in the episode that I would throw a content warning in the front of this one. Uh, today we will be talking about the characters of Jay and Silent Bob, characters who are known as drug dealers, uh, potty-mouthed, and in the case of Jay, constantly trying to get laid. As such, we probably cuss more than average on this. I mean, this we've always cussed, but... And at least one of us uh, makes a revelation that could be a little bit of sexual TMI. Uh, maybe not, though. Especially, it's nothing... If you can handle the movies, you can handle what the host says. I'm not going to give it away. Uh, if you're interested, you'll have to listen in to this now salacious episode of General Nerdery. It's not that bad. But there's your warning. Sex, drugs, potty mouths, potty humor, big nerds. Let's go. General Nerdery. So I got literally after I said go to like press record is when I realized that I had not planned an intro to this episode <laughs> like at all. Uh, so I guess because Kevin Smith, something, something, New Jersey. Snoochie boochies. Snoochie boochies. <laughs> uh, dick jokes. We did that last week. Anyways, <laughs> welcome to General Nerdery, a podcast about liking things. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Uh, and we're here, as you may have picked up on this one, to talk about Kevin Smith and more specifically Kevin Smith's reboot because, uh, hey, it's 420 when this episode's dropping. Yeah. Why not, not take advantage of it? It's, it's not yet. It's 413 when we're recording this, but still, it's, you know, 420 month and year wise. So 420, 420 when it comes out. That's right. Yeah. When, when everybody wakes up in the morning... On 420, this episode will be sitting there waiting for them, uh, and all the goodness of me just slobbering about Kevin Smith. <laughs> uh, but first, what are we going to do first? Are we going to do what have we been ingesting, or are we going to do news? Uh, let's go ingesting. Uh, and right. if you have something, go ahead and go first, because it's been only like two days since we recorded this, so I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I can really add to that list. I've actually got two things. I spaced it out from last week. As we mentioned last week, we recorded these way closer to each other than we usually do. First, I have been reading the IDW comics company uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles run. Mm -hmm. They bought they bought the rights or they got the comic printing rights somewhere around uh, whenever Nick bought Nickelodeon bought Ninja Turtles. I, don't know, I was like eight years ago now, and they've been running this series ever since uh, with Kevin Eastman, who is one of the original creators, not writing it, but like giving script approval, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the cr uh, launching creators, who is where I'm at because I'm only on like volume three is Tom Waltz and Dan Duncan. I have never read anything else with either of these two, and I am going to track more stuff down because it is <laughs> really, really goddamn good. Ninja Turtles is kind of that. It's that thing that is never as good as I want it to be. Right. Because like 
I, I grew up and I'm like, fuck yeah, Ninja Turtles. I was born in 1988. Like, I, I was raised on Ninja Turtles. But they're usually kind of bad if we're being honest with ourselves. Yeah, that's that's kind of true. My like my mental idea of what the turtles are tends to be better than anything I ever actually encounter with them. Like the the first two movies, the ones that people refer to in like a positive light. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Awful goddamn movies. But I love them. You know, Vanilla Ice doing Jump Ninja Jump, like, is kind of sums up everything that you need to know about those movies for good and ill. So funny, funny little side tangent. Um, the second movie, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, uh, Secret, Secret of the, of Ooze, the Ooze, was one of the favorites for the football team back when I was in high school to put on uh when we would go on away trips because, you know, our, our travel bus had, you know, uh, fucking a TV, yeah. TVs and screens and shit. And like, we live in Montana. Away trips can sometimes be many, many hours. Yeah. They can be a day. So it was easy to watch that entire movie almost every time we got on that bus. Oh, Jesus. So we had an entire football team that could pretty much quote uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Jump, Ninja, jump, Ninja, <laughs> jump. Um, that movie had better puppetry than the first one. The first one was a better movie. Yeah. They were both bad, though. Like, And this is the point that I'm making. This one, it is ridiculous. It is, if anything, <laughs> almost more ridiculous, this comic series than normal Ninja Turtles, but it's also really goddamn good. And part of that is it takes in from like anything that they want. Like, uh, they explain why Raphael is always like, no, I'm going to go off on my own. I'm the like lone wolf of them with the idea that they got separated when they were first transformed. So like the first volume is the three turtles, uh, the three other turtles and Splinter trying to find Raphael mm -hmm. so they can like be the complete family and stuff. And they explain it as like they originally all wore red because in the original comics, all the turtles had matching looks. Right. Not like color coded. Well, as, and it, originally um, it was just like black and white anyway, right? Yeah. But when they did illustrated pictures, they all wore the red. The red. Yeah. Uh, they explained that as is it was Raphael's favorite color. So it was their like in memory of their brother kind of thing. And then they got individual mm. colors once they came together. Mm -hmm. Okay. They also changed things. So they are the reincarnations of an old ninja that broke away from the foot clan and his four sons that were murdered by oh. a previous incarnation of shredder. Okay. Which just adds a whole new level of weird, but helps explain why this rat, this test subject rat knows martial arts. Right. Uh, which they kind of tried to explain, but never really made sense near. I mean, it is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But I was about to say it's, this is just as ridiculous as the old explanations, but I bought the old ones, I guess. So, but it's the right combination of like over the top ridiculous. That is everything about Ninja Turtles with a, an earnestness mm -hmm. that I really appreciate. Like, it, it strikes the good balance between ridiculous and serious, as opposed to, 
Ninja Turtles, he either tries to take himself very seriously, which is awful, <laughs> or just it gets so far into the what the hell are we making that they're not even trying. So, yeah, that. Uh, I'm three volumes in. I've got up through four, and I'm very excited to read more of them because, as I said, it's very good. The art is excellent. Nice. Um, it's Ninja Turtles that's trying, and that's really what it is. Uh, and then the other thing is I got my hands on... Well, real quick. There's an old pot. Oh, uh, sorry, go ahead. I mean, even before you bringing it up, I had actually heard good things about this. So it's going to be on my to-read list as well eventually, but... I have been hearing good things about this for years. And then an artist that I'm a big fan of, uh, Sophie Campbell, I believe. I've only read one book of hers, but the artist amazing mm -hmm. was doing the work and then took over full time. Like was doing the writing and the illustration on it up now. And I was like, Oh man, she's amazing. And also Sophie Campbell, if you don't know who she is, go track down a series called glory that came out a couple years ago. They took a Rob Liefeld concept that sucked and made it amazing. <laughs> um, but it's like, fuck, if she's doing this work, then it is worth my time to look into on top of, oh, my God, I've been hearing really good things about this Ninja Turtles run for years now. And then the other one I got my hands on. There was this old podcast called The Thrilling Adventure Hour that did. Uh, it, it was in the style of radio plays and they actually did live performances. They would, you know, full audiences at uh, some place called the Largo. It's in Los Angeles. Uh, one of, I think one of them actually was just a guest on one of the podcasts I listened to, but, uh, there were a lot of people. Um, yeah, I was about to say there's from what it sounded like, like that doesn't exactly narrow it down, but <laughs> Mark Evan Jackson, who was on the good place and is Kevin in Brooklyn nine, nine was mm -hmm. one of the main stars. Hal Lublin and Mark Agliardi, who were both on Night Vale, and they do a podcast called We Got This with Mark and Hal, were both stars. Uh, Paget Brewster, who is on Criminal Minds and was on other things <laughs> uh, and is in Drunk History a lot, it was one of the stars. Uh, J.K. Simmons, who played J. Jonah Jameson in Spider-Man, was a regular guest star. Nathan Fillion was a regular guest star on this. Like it was, uh, it was an experience of a show. One of the episodes I just listened to was a uh, guest written by Len Wein, who created Swamp Thing. Right. And specifically, I've been listening to my, my favorite because they had different like bits and storylines and one's called Beyond Belief, which is these two drunk, always very drunk socialites who are just desperately in love with each other fighting ghosts mm. or dealing with ghosts. It's usually them being like, let's just drink and love each other. And like the, the supernatural world intruding on them, whether they liked it or not. <laughs> uh, it's very funny. It made a, I mean, cause we're still in the middle of quarantine, obviously it, it made a very depressing week go much better to be able to listen to these really, really funny actors clearly having the time of their lives just in this ridiculous concept. That it sounded like a lot of fun the first time I heard of it. Uh, you bringing it up makes me think I'm going to also have to check that out possibly um, sooner rather of, than later, too. 
It's kind of hard to get your hands on these days. They have a free podcast, which releases occasionally new episodes that are podcast only because they closed the live show a few years back mm-hmm. after doing it for like 10 years. So it, there was a strong run on this. And they'll release old episodes here and there to get the full run of the the original episodes. You have to be a member of their Patreon. Okay. But if you get the chance to listen to Thrilling Adventure at Hour at any point, it is one of the better pod. It's one of the podcasts that really got me into podcasts. Nice. Yeah. What about you? Have you been ingesting so. any media? So like I already pointed, we we recorded just two days ago. Mm-hmm. So other than watching uh, Jane Silent Bob reboot for this podcast, there's yeah, only there's only one other bit of media that I really ingested. Uh, and so this is going to be a shameless plug for Fried Squirms because <laughs> I, <laughs> because the only other thing I watched in these two days was I watched uh, Evil Bong twice for uh, our 420 episode over there. So Evil Bong? Yes. It was a 2006 straight-to-video uh there was no low, way there was going to be anything but straight to video. Uh, low budget uh, stoner horror comedy. They used Tommy Chong in a lot of the marketing, made it look like he's a really big part, but he only really appears in like the last third of the movie. But it is about a a group of stoner roommates and their square friend who come into possession of a cursed bong. That once you take, once you take too many hits off of it, pulls you into Bong World, which is basically just a, a sleazy strip club, where it kills you. Although it, it kind of seems like you can come back from that death as long as things happen to the Bong in, in a certain amount of time. But I have so many questions. But really, to continue the shameless plug. Uh, I'm just going to have to listen to the Fried Squirms episode to find out more. Like that's, Yeah, we're going to be recording it right <laughs> after this, actually. So, <laughs> Yeah, I got Art of Wargaming tonight. So, you know, apparently Monday night is podcast night, uh, letting you guys in on the deep behind the scenes here. Uh, but yeah, that's the only other thing I've watched. I've I watched it twice now in the last 24 hours. So that's got to be an experience. I watched both of these movies twice in the last 24 hours, actually. So. <laughs> it's uh it's been something. So, <laughs> yeah. Let's uh let's uh jump into some news here how about. All right, news. Uh we didn't do news last episode, so technically this is news for the last 2 weeks. However, thanks to corona, I think we There's have much. less news than we would normally have in a week. Uh I will yeah, say that I only also There's so much we can go everything's been canceled. Right. Uh, I was a little bit picky on the things, too, just because I did know that we were covering a longer length of time than normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I miss something, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> You're so kind to our fans. No, uh, so one one that I, I can't remember if I missed or not, and I should know because I edit the episodes, but did I bring up the the Dresden release dates. Uh, we talked about it in the Dresden files episode. Okay. So between that episode 
and now there was some news that dropped that I missed on an episode. This actually happened about three weeks ago. Okay. We got release date for Peace Talks, along with like this really weird like trailer that's kind of funny to watch a trailer for a book, but... Book trailers are always fucking strange in the first place. Uh, it, so that was, that's what, July? I uh, say? July 14th. Okay. But at the very end of that trailer, we got a little bit extra news that was then also confirmed on the website. Uh, September 24th? That, that's either a four or a nine. I have a really bad handwriting. Okay, so late September. We're getting the next one after that, too battleground oh okay man feels bad about taking so long right i i'm wondering if the books are a lot closer connected than they usually are if they're releasing them that close to each other because that that makes it sound like he was writing them simultaneously uh i agree uh but yeah peace talks and battleground both coming out this year we're getting a shit ton more dresden and that uh makes me really happy I know he had originally given a list of how many books he was planning on doing of the Dresden Files, and then there was going to be like a, a apocalypse trilogy at the end of it. Like uh, the whole world of Dresden Files goes up fully in flames. I wonder if that's still in the plans like that. And I wonder if I think we would be getting close to that if it was still fo- if it's still following the original numbers. Uh, that's a really good question, because I remember reading about that same thing where uh, yeah, like you said, it was going to be so many books, then a trilogy that finishes it off, and that's it. I, um, I don't think we're up to where the trilogy was planned, but I feel like we're getting close to it. Like, everything in the last couple books has been building towards coming to a head. Uh, hopefully this book will have more about, I can't even think of what they're called, the new big bad guys that appeared while he was gone. Oh, uh, the Falmer? Yeah, they haven't done really much to explain those people at all. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. I mean, we're, we already said we're going to talk about it a lot more in depth when those books come out, so. Oh, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed every Dresden File thing I've read, even what the ones that I'm like, well, this is not well written, but I'm enjoying this trashy shit, so I'm going to have fun no matter what. Uh, I did think uh, I'd hit on a little bit of coronavirus rescheduling. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. been a bit announced, but there was one that kind of all dropped at one time. So it was kind of easy to say all together. Plus it's Disney. So, you know, kind of big shit. Uh, Mulan is now supposedly going to try to come out July 24th, uh, which was going to be the release date for Jungle Cruise, who which is now going to be July 30th. What the fuck is Jungle Cruise? You know, I didn't know Disney. Um. <laughs> Black Widow is now supposed to be November 6th, which bumped pretty much everything else. So Eternals... Yeah, they completely reworked the Marvel ones. Yeah, Eternals is now May 21st next year. Doctor Strange, which was supposed to be Doctor Strange's date, which is now November, uh, which pushed Thor till February of... Uh, 2022. Uh, however, Captain Marvel 2's release date actually moved up uh, from November to July 2022. 
And Indiana Jones is being pushed back another year, which, I mean, come on, Harrison Ford is not getting any younger guys. Yeah, that is the one that worries me because he's about 470 at this point anyways. Uh, no update on New Mutants from what we saw last time, but <laughs> uh, Artemis Fowl got shifted to not even getting a theatrical release and is going to be put out on Disney+. Plus. Oh, that's not a good sign for Artemis Fowl. No. Which I thought looked interesting. I never read those books. I know I had a friend whose kid was is like 12 years younger than me, and they read the books and were pretty into them. So I, I know that they were popular in a young adult range, but I was just a little too old for them by that point. Uh, yeah. But the trailer looked interesting. I was going to say pretty much the same exact thing. I also never read them. I thought the trailer looked interesting. Uh, I guess now I'll be able to see it a lot easier because I already have Disney Plus. So, yeah, I'm more likely to see it when it comes out on Disney Plus than I am. To, I, I it wasn't going to be a theater movie for me. No, it's not. Same with me. Uh, while we're talking about Disney Plus, they did announce that they're going to be doing a quote unquote live action version of the old animated Robin Hood. Like with the foxes and shit? Yes, with the sexy foxes. That was not a word I was going to use to describe them. But That's okay. how the internet <laughs> tends to describe them. Yep, yeah, fair enough. Uh, so are they going to do anthropomor anthropomorphic... It, are, are they still going to be foxes? I don't know. I have so many questions. They can't call it live action if that's the case. Like, they already were stretching it past... Far past the realm of live any action. kind of truth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jungle Book, I was willing to give them sort of because the kid who played Mowgli, mm -hmm. Pete's Dragon, sure. Aladdin, same thing. Like, as, as much as they could do live action, they were. Lion King was just an uncanny valley. Lion King was disappointing. Um, I never actually saw it. To be honest with you, I, the only ones of those that I have seen is uh, Jungle Book, which I enjoyed. I took my little sister to Lion King. Uh, I have a sister that's 23 years younger than me, so kind of right in the yeah. perfect age range. Uh, and I mean, she enjoyed it, but like I was sitting there watching it and they, the photorealism was neat. But there's only so far a photoreal animated animal can emote. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a, a thing. So even though they were trying, there was only so far they could make the faces stretch and still keep it in the realm of the photoreal. And... It kind of led to a very, very bland performance. That's fair. I can see that. That's too bad. They had some good actors for set up for the whole thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and otherwise it was fine. There was nothing super bad about it. It was just... There was nothing super good about it either. Yeah. It looked pretty. It looked pretty. <laughs> 
That's a pretty. That's good. what I got. That's what I got. Yep. All right. Uh, do we have any other news? Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, this one is super big speculation, but because we were talking about Valiant recently, anyway. Lots of people are thinking that John Cena might have hinted at him being Exo Man of War on his Instagram. Really? Yes. We have Vin Diesel, <laughs> Bloodshot, and John Cena, Exo Man of War. What do you think? Isn't isn't John Cena in the most recent Fast and the Furious, or the one that's coming out? Or I think he might be in the one coming out. That sounds right. I don't keep up on those, and apparently I should, but... Wrestling is one of those things that part of me has always wanted to get into. Part of me has always wanted to like wrestling, and I have a lot of friends that do, because it has very close ties to comic books. It always has. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's the dumbest fucking thing on the planet. I was really big into one era of wrestling, uh, the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You would have been just the right age to be into the Attitude Era, too. And then, yeah, hasn't really done much for me since. I'll Um, I'll click on headlines every once in a while when I see, like, news come up and be like, oh, shit, Undertaker won again. Cool. My boy. The most I've ever gotten into wrestling is John Oliver did an episode on WWE Mm -hmm. uh, for last week tonight, and it... It's one of the best episodes I thought he ever did of last week tonight, because it was a really good balance of how much he legitimately likes wrestling and how much we really need to talk about how shitty wrestlers are treated. Which, yes. Yes. (laughs) And he clearly loved wrestling for how over the top it is, and it made me want to like wrestling. I know all my wrestling friends really like John Cena. I have seen none of the movies he's acted in. So I have, I have no proof one way or the other that he can act, but I was a wrestler. It's very rarely a good indication of, I know how to act. I mean, I guess the rock, but even then the rock isn't so much a great actor as he makes fun, dumb movies. Yeah. Uh, He's no, he's getting better. No offense to rock actors or not rock actors, rock fans. No offense to the rock himself. I really enjoyed him in Moana. I had a great freaking time with Moana. But for the most part, he does big, stupid spectacle movies, and that's okay. Those movies make a lot of money. They make a lot of people very happy. But there's not a lot of depth to it. And now I'm just being mean. (laughs) But there is nothing about John Cena that makes me interested in that for a Exo Manowar movie. I want someone much... I don't know if gritty is the right term, but I want someone that just straight up came out of, you know, Game of Thrones or Vikings or something playing Exo Man of War. Because that's a lot closer to what Exo Man of War was. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a Gaul. He starts fighting the Romans. He is straight up someone that would have fit in really well in Westeros without any problems whatsoever, who is abducted by aliens steals their Iron Man knockoff power armor, flees back to Earth, and finds out that, like, a thousand years has passed. I don't see John Cena... I see John Cena doing the second part. I don't see John Cena doing the first part. And maybe I'll be wrong. And there's still a good chance he's not even going to be Exo Man of War, but... 
and there's a really good chance that will never take off. Like, getting Bloodshot was a weird enough one in the first place. Yeah. And thanks to Corona, I don't know if Bloodshot has done well or not. I know it released at the worst possible time for it. Wait, right. Right. Um, but also, even even if Bloodshot sinks, that doesn't necessarily mean the rest of the Valiant Universe won't go forth because Bloodshot was Sony and the rest is going to be Paramount. Yeah, so there's... I don't know. I don't have enough to really have an opinion one way or the other, but nothing about this rumor fills me with optimism. I guess I should just stop being an asshole to John Cena. A lot of people like him. I'm sure he's a good guy. I mean, I will say John Cena or not, conceptually, I'm more on board with going and watching an Exo Man War movie than Bloodshot anyway. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to bring this up, but I didn't, like, write any of them down or do anything. I just wanted to say that they did put out the uh, Hugo Award nominees, but I'm not up to date enough with any science fiction to be able to comment on, like, even 10% of what I was looking at when I was looking through the list of nominees. There was a couple things in the comic books and, like, TV adaptations that stood out from, like, Watchmen and stuff, but... uh, yeah. If you do want to go see what's out on those lists, they are out. So, yeah, uh, I support the Hugo Awards, but I don't I, I read a ton. I watch a ton, but I have never been like, oh, this is the thing that came out this week. I need to check it out. So the stuff that like, oh, here's the words of things that came out this year. A lot of times doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Yeah, uh, but it's. I support the Hugos. They're one of the awards that I think is more worthy than a lot of them, uh, especially after they did a good enough job of recommending uh, creations by women and people of color that sad white people made the sad puppies and the something other puppy. Basically that they did a good enough job at reaching representation that they got attacked for it by crap people. Mm hmm. That, so that's that. <laughs> cool. Uh, what else do I got here? Uh, so this is uh, this is a weird one. Uh, Joby Harold, who wrote on King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, has hired has been hired to rewrite every episode of the Obi Wan show. Wait, was that the guy Richie King Arthur one? Yes. Okay. That movie falls under the category that I was talking about of it was a big, dumb action filler movie (laughs) that was fun to watch. Um, I am not going to hold that against him that he made that. Like, a lot of times people be like, oh, they wrote on this show or this movie. Obviously, it's going to be terrible. And then it ends up being one of the best episodes of whatever. Good job, this guy. Like... (laughs) it's one of those things that with a lot of media, just because someone wrote something, one, not everything someone writes is going to be good, just as nature of things. But a lot of times, something that's written that then makes it to the big screen has been changed so much from the original conception that a lot of the bad stuff is a lot of times not the fault of the writer. Sometimes it is. I don't know. Good for this guy. 
I, I agree. Good for this guy. I'm just kind of worried about how much that might mean that we might be rushing uh, the rest of the Obi-Wan show to hit the release date that they keep holding on to. Yeah, they need to... They've changed the date of almost everything else. Just change the date of that one. It's okay if you need to. I will let you take more time to make sure you get the Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan TV show right. That's fine. Take the time you need. Did you see the... <laughs> this is super small, but did you see the first look uh, from the Dune movie? I have not. There's one one still put out of uh, Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides uh, just standing on the beach at Caladan with what it looks right. like transport ships coming down to pick him up. I am looking this up as we speak. It looks pretty. And it looks super pretty, but it's only one shot. But I'm still excited because Dune movie. Yeah, that, this tells me nothing. Yeah, it, it tells you less than nothing because it's still on Caladan. All right. He's wearing all black. He doesn't have the full military uniform that he had in the, the what was that? David Lynch made the original Dune movie mm -hmm. and then didn't want his name attached because it was bad. <laughs> but great, but bad. We should do an episode on that. Yes, Anyways. we <laughs> Oh, my God. Yes. Cool. This show... The, Great. I don't have a whole lot of faith in this movie. That is not... I'm a downer this episode. I'm sorry, guys. That is not anything against anyone involved in the creation of this movie. Dune is such a weird, cerebral, long, slow, strange book that I have never really believed that it can be done in two and a half hours. That's it. That's... Uh, I'm, yeah, like I said, this is like the smallest amount of news that could be put out for it, but I'm just super excited for the movie, uh, just cause I, I don't know how you make it work. I'm curious to see what his vision's going to be. Cause I've seen Lynch's and that was interesting. <laughs> you know what? Doubts or not, I am a hundred percent going to go see this movie. Uh, plus, the cast think... is insane. Oh, yeah. I don't think they can do it, but I think that it's going to be a incredible experience no matter what, in the same way that I own the David Lynch Dune movie, and I watch it even though it's a fucking shit show. <laughs> yeah, the cast is bonkers. I think I've mentioned it before, but Rebecca Ferguson, Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Jason Momoa, Dave Bautista... Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, Oscar Isaac, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, Charlotte Rampling, Dave Delsmalchin, who warrior shows up today in Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. <laughs> Wait, who is he in Reboot and who is he in Dune? Uh, in Dune, he's playing uh, Peter, Piter, Piter DeVry. Uh, yeah, the... the he, he's the creepy mentat, the, like, bad guy mentat. Yeah. I think. Okay. He is, <laughs> in Chainsaw of Reboot, in the very beginning, he's the the SWAT guy next to Donnell Rawlings. Oh, he's the guy from Dark Knight. Oh, he's, that's a perfect casting. <laughs> that's a great casting. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, and he was in uh, Ant-Man. Uh, yeah, so Dave Desmalchin. <laughs> 
which is really weird going from Dune to reboot. But awesome. Okay. I mean, this is just kind of nice. Once again, we've we've pointed out a couple of these things different companies are doing during this time to help alleviate all the boredom people might have stuck at home. Uh, and Wizards is actually putting out some free D&D material. Different adventures and rule books and things uh, sort of geared towards uh, newbies and especially for parents that might be teaching their children how to play and things like coloring pages for the even smaller children so oh cool getting them in young mm-hmm. so i thought that i'd me. point that out there's a lot of free little modules and stuff that adds up to actually quite a big value really and i think they're putting it out on a on a daily schedule or something like that so there's a lot more info mm-hmm. over at their website but i wanted to just point that out because i thought it was pretty neat of them uh, that reminds me, I saw this article on Bleeding Cool, which is kind of the trashy comic website, but they're also very good like at their reporting. Uh, they had an article up of a group of comic shops put out their, like, here's how we change the industry to save it post-COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Because it's generally agreed that a lot of changes need to happen. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's read this. And a lot of them are like, let's make stuff more returnable. Let's, if stuff is going to be late, like, don't screw us over in the process. If you are going to put out preview art, that art needs to be in the comic that you're saying is going to be in. Like, a lot of, like, treat us honestly, treat us with respect. I was like, yes. I'm like, bring in a whole bunch of new people. I'm like, yes. And I'm like, stop collecting everything in trades. I'm like, shut the fuck up. That's dumb. What? They're arguing... The trades, they the to stop collecting a lot of series after volume four of the trades because apparently sales drop off at that point. Which okay, if that's a thing, then let's have a real conversation about that. And that they really should be pushing the standard monthlies, while also saying we need to bring in new people, and that just drove me up a wall. Uh, Monthly, monthlies the, are intimidating. Monthlies are intimidating, monthlies are expensive, and they fall apart super easy. I've got a whole chest full of monthlies. I love them. We've talked about them before. I think that they, for the most part, should probably die off, and that's okay. But I know so many more people, and they're like, we should battle the collect for the trades mindset. I'm like, I'm the biggest comic book fan I have ever met, and I collect for the trades mm-hmm. because I'm getting more bang for my buck. And I'm getting something worth keeping. Like, uh, instead of trying to keep up this, this is how we've always done it with monthlies. Let's just be honest about the fact that it doesn't work anymore. That if we want to bring in new people, we need to be more friendly to those kinds of people. We are very lucky here in Missoula. We have a excellent comic book store, Muse Comics and Games. I'm going to mention it again because I love that place. (laughs) <laughs> but the the stereotype of the comic book store that is smelly, that is unfriendly to new people, that is very gatekeeping, that exists for a reason. And if we really want to bring in new people, we don't cancel trades. We don't fight digital. We make sure that we have open 
and accepting places for these new people to come into where people can bring their kids and not be creeped out where women can come in and not be ogled and like Mm -hmm. uh, creeped on. We look at what is selling trades are selling great, but we don't collect books based. Like we don't collect sales based off them. We, and we orient towards what's actually selling. Trades got separated, and I was talking to some of these stories at the comic book store when manga was taking off because they didn't want to deal with the fact that manga, which was only coming out in graphic novel format, mm-hmm. was outselling everything DC Comics had. Instead of fighting that, let's own that. Uh, and I don't really have too much here because I don't have that this list in front of me. I just that part drove me up a wall. I am very much on board that we are at an opportunity here to change the comic book industry in a way that it desperately needs changing. But to do that, we're going to have to take some real looks at this industry that I love, that I absolutely adore, that I want to be a part of and really confront what we need to change about ourselves. And I would just like to point out as someone who didn't really get into comics until I was in my 20s, uh, monthlies are fucking intimidating because it requires a lot of research uh, to figure out whether you're jumping in at a spot that feels quote unquote right. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a trade, I could just go grab it and it's a story arc. And maybe it's part of an even larger arc, but it's all themed together. Yep. And one thing they did talk about that I agreed with is that we don't have to make sure that every story arc is six issues long or 12 issues long or like exact trades. Uh, the one shot is okay to have back. Mm-hmm. I miss the one shot very much. A lot of times the best comic book issues are one shots like, oh, what's the best whatever story? Usually this one single issue, uh, there was one that came out in one of the most recent Spider-Man uh, where Spider-Mite comes up, it's basically Spider-Man hanging out through the equivalent of Make-A-Wish with this kid that has cancer. It has some of the best reviews that I have ever heard of a Spider-Man comic, particularly in the last, like, 20 years, and I've heard some really good stuff about com- Spider-Man comics. There's been some great comics, but this one stuck with people. It was a one-shot. It is okay to have one-shots. We don't have to, like, make sure every storyline is six issues for the trade, but at the same time abandoning the trade is just hurting it. Uh, We talked about in a previous episode, some of the best sales that Marvel's having is stuff like Moon Girl or Miss Marvel or the whatever Wasp. I still don't remember the adjective because I haven't read that comic (laughs) yet. The young girl superheroes, because young girls are buying them at the Scholastic Book Fairs and they're selling like gangbusters. What we need to be doing is giving an accessible space to these young girls or older girls or young boys or everyone in between that we don't currently have. Also, we need to stop letting Diamond have a stranglehold on the industry, and I will not let that one go, but I'm going to now. I got it out of my system. (laughs) I was wondering if you were going to come around to that. It was super going to come up. I think that's about all I got, though. Sweet. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about Jay and Silent Bob. (laughs) That was a really good Justin Long.
fuck, fuck, fuck. Mother, mother, fuck, mother, mother, fuck. I'm not going to do the entire thing. I was going to, I was thinking about it, but that goes on for like 45 seconds. So I almost started this episode with that, but in like PG'd it and it was going to be like, heck, heck, mother, heck, and heck, mother, heck, mother, heck, noich, noich, noich. Uh, but I couldn't figure out the whole thing. That's as far as I got. I could, I could do it all. I'm not going to do it all. Not. Oh, I could absolutely do the whole thing, but that's more swears than we put in a single episode. And it's not like you and I don't swear a lot already. That's this true. Is, uh, I blame Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith is a believer in the fuck word. Uh, yeah. So Jane Silent Bob reboot. You and I had honestly pretty different reactions to this movie. Um, <laughs> because you fucking loved this movie from everything I could tell. And I had fun. As someone who has been watching Kevin Smith since he was like 12 years old, I had moments of sentimentality. I kind of thought this was a train wreck of a movie that I would have hated if I didn't have those years of affection to Kevin Smith. And that's probably the difference is that my my affection is just deep and throbbing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And so every little thing I was like, oh, shit. Oh, look at that. Oh, oh, look. Oh. And it was, I like it based uh, mostly on pure fan service. Uh, I do think it has a lot more emotion in it than your average Kevin Smith movie. But I will say that also knowing some of the the inspiration, uh, the meta story behind it all, uh, I can't divorce myself from that. And that helps feed into my experience. Uh, as someone, again, same thing, who grew up watching Kevin Smith, who has been watching Kevin Smith forever, uh, I started with Mallrats. I've, you know, seen, I saw Clerks 2 in theaters. I've, I've seen all of the Viewski ones. I definitely appreciated it. And in a similar way, I couldn't quite divorce myself from it. But when I was trying to look at it, like, critically, like, di divorced from all of that, the movie was... This movie is all over the place. Like, even compared to Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, that one at least had, like, a real plot and progression point to it, no matter how ridiculous it was. This one, he just kind of got bored a couple of times and, like, shifted what he was doing. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of true. Uh, I, I've now watched it four times, and about a month ago, Kev actually put out a commentary track for this. So mm -hmm. with my last watching, I synced that up and yeah, he points out like the plot threads that he just abandoned because the final script is a, a conglomeration of like 10 older scripts, but he was a lot of having a lot of fun making a movie with his friends. Oh yeah. And when you watch <laughs> it from that perspective, here is Kevin Smith enjoying himself with all of his friends and all these people who love him making a movie for the people who love him. It's an accomplishment. Oh yeah. And it's it, a super success. It, Cause it I'm one of those people to, get to that point. <laughs> uh, when I was first watching it and it was, you know, going through, I, I wasn't feeling this movie for the first like 20 minutes. And I'm like, fuck Did I just outgrow Jay and silent Bob? Did, does this just not work anymore? Well, I mean, and then the first 20 minutes are the most uh, most unashamedly just complete ripoff of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Mm -hmm. And it's not that the uh, rest of the movie isn't, but it gets more clever with it as it goes on. So I guess let's 
I guess let's sum up the the basics of this movie. Okay. Which is hard because, as we said, it's, it's, this movie's all over the fucking place. <laughs> uh, let's see. The basics of this movie are Jay and Silent Bob get busted for running a weed growing operation out of the former RST video on the other half of the building. That's the quick stop RST where they've spent most of their lives. Um, you know, I was always curious what happened to the video store from clerks too, like, or from clerks, mm-hmm. because like, that's part of what they rebuilt at the end of clerks too, when they restart, reopened the quick stop. Right. Cocksmokers. Yeah, apparently. And like part of me was like, oh, the video store. But also it's 2020. The video store's fucking gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. RST video isn't going to be open no more. You get a red box out in front of that bitch. Yeah. Oh, and I saw that there's. Uh, but they they get busted for selling weed unofficially. And I was like, come on, guys, just open up a weed store. <laughs> they used to have money like at the in theory, they were fucking rich still in Clerks too, and then they helped them buy, um, the store. The yeah, and part of me was like, well, that shouldn't be enough to bankrupt them. But also at the same time, but I'm not surprised the Jane Silent Bob over the course of 20 years blew a shit ton of money. Well, that's the thing. That was most of what they had left because they spent a lot of it right after they first got it, flying all over the United States, beating up assholes that were to- uh, talking shit about them on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so like, part of me was like, but they had money. But no, it makes sense that these two would be broke as fuck by this point. Um. The movie does do a pretty good job of kind of pointing out that by the time that they're they've got to be what near 50 at this point. Uh yeah. In their 40s at 40s the least, in their 40s. That Jay and Silent Bob are kind of sad by this point of existence. Yeah. We're okay. So why did they go see Brody? Uh they they're taken to court. We meet the Justin Long character, who is a creepy-ass lawyer. Okay, so, who, wait. Uh, that's actually kind of important, because uh, Justin Long is playing Brandon St. Randy, uh, who was a uh, gay male porn star married to Brandon Ruth in Zack and Mary Make a Porno. Oh, really? He was playing the same character? Which makes Zack and Mary part, part of, of the Ask universe. universe. I've never seen Zack and Mary. Uh, yeah, the Kevin actually has like two hours of Justin Long improvising lines that he wasn't able to use because because <laughs> two hours. <laughs> well, because he ran all the lines that he needed and he let him improvise those two hours, but then realized when he was doing the editing that they never said that his name is Brandon St. Randy. So it didn't. Oh, okay. So it didn't make sense to have the two hours of him improvising. Um, hitting on Joe Manganiello, who's the bailiff. Yeah. Because Brandon St. Randy was uh, a very sexually outspoken gay male porn star. And so that was all the improvising. He was, in this one, a very clearly sexually outspoken gay... lawyer so you know it still worked good job justin long um that's fun that i I didn't realize it was the same character from zach and mary make a porno i do know that that's where those two met i think 
Mm-hmm. And Justin Long's done several movies with him at this point now because he did Tusk, didn't he? Yes. Yes, Justin oh, Long Jesus. gets turned into a walrus in Tusk. I love that they fucking made fun of Tusk in this one. This movie is mostly Kevin Smith making fun of Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, he He's which, the first to make fun of Tusk and Jersey Girl and Yoga Hosers. Uh, kind of for good reason with Yoga Hosers. I'm a, I'm a, a friend of, big fan, and the last third of that movie is not good. Uh, a friend of ours, Stephen, who actually has done some editing for us on Earworm before, was talking to me about this movie because he knew we were doing this episode. And he's like, man, is it just me or is that movie feel like really aggressively making fun of you for watching it? <laughs> and, I th- <laughs> and I think what it is, is is Kevin Smith making fun of Kevin Smith for making Kevin Smith movies. But in the process, it gets really like mean to you about watching Kevin Smith movies. <laughs> I could see that, I guess. That's funny. I can see that. Uh, and it was funny, but there were definitely times where I'm like, man, you are antagonistic to your audience here. But anyways, Justin Long, a.k.a. Harney Gay Lawyer. Oh, right. That's right. So they lose their names. Uh, which kind of just gets abandoned as a plot line really quickly. That's one of the older script things. Mm-hmm. There was one script, one version of the script where they never meet Jay's daughter and their whole quest was to re, uh, just reclaim their names. Oh, that would have sucked. The daughter was the best. Like, meeting the daughter was the best part of this. Right. So that's that's why that got dropped. But that gets them to Brody, because they go bitch about it to Brody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Who is another one that is very sad by this point. Yeah, man. Uh, that's sad because it was a little bit too real. Like, it's the mall... Because the mall rats and Brody Bruce, but the mall's dying, and they're in a brick and mortar that's in a dying mall. Well, and just, I'm not, like, Brody is a lot of fun as a character in Mall Rats. He's another one where I'm not surprised that it turns out that when you meet him in 2020, he's kind of a shitty dude. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that makes complete sense. Uh, did you catch... The name of Brody's daughter. They did mention it, but I don't remember what it was. Uh, Brody Bruce's daughter is Banner. Yeah, of course. (laughs) That was from they originally tried to make a Mallrats 2 and he had the whole cast signed up. They were ready to come back, but he couldn't get anyone to make it with him. Like he, he couldn't get a company to fund it for the very obvious reason of it was a sequel to his second film from the 90s that fucking flopped yeah well flopped in theaters uh definitely a cult following and nobody ever lost money on on that movie but i love mall rats do not get me wrong but like if you ever watch the like making of stuff about it, it's mostly people being like, we did not know how to fucking sell this movie. (laughs) And so it did really badly when it first came out and we just survived because Kevin Smith is really good at breaking even worst case scenario. Right. Yeah. He doesn't lose people money, which is how he still has a career. (laughs) Uh, Brody pulls kind of double duty in this movie because it is, just almost carbon copy from Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Uh, 
And this is, he also uh, is the Holden McNeil part in telling them about the movie being made. Yeah. And at first you're like, well, shit, we're just, we are straight up getting a carbon copy of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And while I have given this movie shit already for going off the rails, I appreciate the fact that it's not just Strike Back Part 2. I think it's hel- fucking hilarious on a metal level that Jay and Silent Bob reboot was, in fact, like, if you lay the beats on top of each other, exactly the same movie. For the first part, the later parts, it changes really significantly. Yeah. But it's, yeah, these first parts, especially, though, when when they're setting you up, you're just like, oh, shit, like, he he wasn't joking. He just made the same movie. Like, this mm-hmm. is the Holden scene. Okay. So they're so they're heading back to Hollywood. Yeah, they do some rideshare stuff. They make fun of uh, they make dick jokes and make jokes about Uber. Basically, it's fine. the The scene with the hater tots was funny, but forgettable. It it, it didn't super add anything to the movie, but I I didn't dislike it. Uh, I love that they were added to the no-fly list because of being members of the clit. Yes, that was a very good reference. Again, so much of this movie is I love Kevin Smith's Viewisk Universe and just getting to watch for Easter eggs and stuff like that. On that same note, they end up at Movies, which was the main source of Clerks 2 and was also in James Song Bob Strike Back. And... Dogma as well, I want to say. I think it first appeared in Dogma. Yeah. Yeah, because Mubi's the golden uh, calf. That's it. And it's his McDonald's ripoff. Mm-hmm. I always like seeing a Mubi's. I would totally own a Mubi's shirt like they wore in Clerks too, except for the fact that just thinking about it makes me think of fast food, which is terrible. <laughs> in between, I just wanted to point out one, one fun little thing. To get the ride share... With them listening in on the guy mm-hmm. uh, to get his credit card because they couldn't use any of their own shit because they don't own their names anymore because Saban Films owns it. So they're yeah. able to make Mighty Morphin Power Rangers jokes in this movie rather than Miramax jokes like they did in Strike Back. Well, and Saban put this movie out, Yes, right? Yes, they put up some yeah, movie for this. he's just making fun of Saban, the people who are making his movie. It's, it's again, this movie is very aware of it that it's weird and kind of dog shit, but amazing. Ted Underhill is a reference to Fletch, uh, the Chevy Chase movie. Oh, yeah. And Saban has that. And I just really enjoy getting to see Ralph Garman. He was the guy that they who was the the Ted Underhill that they stole the identity of and is Kevin Smith's co-host on Hollywood Babylon. So he was only in the one thing. He did a very good job of being an angry white man. Uh, yeah, you may uh, have heard him do numerous, numerous background voices in Futurama over the years. Or not Futurama, uh, mm. Family Guy. My bad. Mm, okay. I'm sure I have. I He was one of those people that I recognized him, but I did not place who he was while I was watching the movie. Mm-hmm. I recognized uh, everybody, but <laughs> maybe not everybody. Briefly s- Almost everybody. <laughs> We briefly see one half of Garfunkel and Oates in the movie scene. Mm-hmm. I love Garfunkel and Oates, so it was always nice to see her. I first discovered that lady on Scrubs when she was dating Ted the lawyer, which was the sweetest thing. 
And then we see uh, Jay finds Justice. His uh, Kevin Smith's wife appears briefly. And this is also Kevin important. Smith in a bathroom. Jen Schwalbach shows up uh, and is playing Missy McKenzie, who is Colleen McKenzie's mom, who was last seen at the Gimlet sli- or the Gimli Slider in Yoga Hosers, which makes Tusk and Yoga Hosers now also part of the ISK universe. Jesus. Okay, see, I didn't know if she was playing because she's been in several movies. She was in Clerks 2 and she was in Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if she was playing one of those characters. Uh, it's kind of fun that he's connecting all of his movies now into one really fucked up universe. Yeah, and so so that was Harley's characters in Yoga Hoser's Yoga Mom. Hosers. Okay, played by Harley's mom. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Great. God, Kevin Smith is incestuous when it comes to like his <laughs> nepotism movies. at its finest. Uh, which he makes fun of later, and he's like, "I don't believe in nepotism." I'm like, "Shut the fuck up, Kevin Smith. <laughs> You're even making fun of yourself for this." Um, uh, the Fry Cook is also one of his podcast co-hosts. That was Andy McElfrish from uh, Education. Great. Uh, and then this is where the movie actually really starts to take off where Jay goes and meets justice and we find out that he's a complete piece of shit, which we already knew But like the reason he never visited her in prison again was because they couldn't have conjugal visits, which good Christ Jay. But it's also not anything less than what you'd expect from Jay. It is not out of character for Jay, but it's one of those that's just like, Oh my God. Like, Watching this movie as a 31-year-old male in 2020 versus watching Jane Sound Bob Strike Back in, what, 2003? Uh, oh, Strike Back was um, 2001. 2001? Watching this movie almost 20 years later, I am just a lot more caught by how terrible a human being Jay is. I just and I really liked this movie and he had some really good scenes that I don't think Jason Mewes could have pulled off like 17 years ago just because of who Jason Mewes was at the time. But just stuff like that where I'm like, Jesus, Bob, why do you put up with this guy? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. We find out that Justice has a kid. We find out that the kid has kind of her own equivalent to Silent Bob with her deaf friend. I I know that the kid's name is Millennium because her name is Millennium Falcon. I do not remember her friend's name. Uh, Soapy. Sophie. Soapy. Uh, Sopapia. Soapy. Oh, right. Sopapia was great. I very much enjoyed her as a character. I like that Kevin Smith made fun of a young, diverse, interesting cast of characters and then went out of his way to make a young, diverse, interesting cast of characters. Yeah. Like, he kind of tossed some shit at it, but it really quickly is apparent that he is more tossing shit at people who who give crap to, you know, uh, representation and then, then actually giving shit at representation. Mm-hmm. So Papia is deaf, which is ex- extremely rare to hear or to see in in movies. I, I'm trying to remember the last time I saw a deaf character in movies. 
yeah, what was that Marley Maitland flick back in the day? Uh, Children of a Lesser God. Yeah, I don't even know that one, but that like that really drives home how how rare that is. So to have a capable black woman who is deaf and is not degraded throughout the whole movie for any of that was really refreshing to see. I would have liked more with all of the girls, Mm -hmm. but this movie had so many things going on it that I'm not surprised (laughs) that they suffered. I do like that every time his daughter millennium, I'm going to try to recall her that and not Harley choke someone. She goes, go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Every time Millie chokes someone out, she goes, go to sleep. Like in the same way. Like it's just, this movie was very fond of repetition of jokes, but it mostly worked. Yeah. Um, Apparently she was only supposed to choke him out the one time, but after she was taught how to by uh, the stunt coordinator, like she's like, that was a lot of fun. Can I just choke everybody out? (laughs) (laughs) And she does it like several times. Turns out she's kind of hardcore, threatens him with a knife. Uh, and they are all going to Chronicon, which is the Bluntman and Chronic big convention. Right. Turns out that she is very much Jay's daughter, even though she wasn't raised that way. Uh, I skipped something real quick. Yeah, yeah. We find out that Justice is married to... Rosario Dawson. Yes, who is given a name here. I remember her last name is Falcon. I don't remember her first name. She is a new character for this. Uh, She plays... Uh, Reggie. Reggie. Reggie Falcon. Great. Um, I I liked seeing her. I always want to see more Rosario Dawson, especially because she loved being in Clerks 2 so much. And it showed in Clerks 2 that she was enjoying herself. She, she made a joke. She somehow convinced me in Clerks 2 that she fell in love with Brian and uh, Brian O'Halloran. Yeah. Yeah, she felt that. Like, I felt that part. It makes me want to watch Clerks too. Just talking about Rosario Dawson, and if you ever watch the like commentary—not the commentary, but like the behind-the-scenes videos of the movie on the DVD—she clearly just loved doing that movie. She had so much fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes a joke. She's like, "Oh my god, this is so and so," and makes a joke, and Silent Bob laughs at it, but I couldn't hear the joke, so I assume she made a tiny dick joke, but I'm not sure. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, fuck. I was going to write it down and then I didn't. Um, uh, come quick, thumb dick, something like that. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. You're a legend for all the wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, I assumed it was something along those lines, but don't know. Or didn't know. I liked that Justice still seemed very into Jay, but I was very glad that it wasn't like Jay wins her back kind of thing. And that they really quickly wrote that out of any kind of existence. Yeah. I was just like, because oh, he, that sucks. I'm not getting laid. 18 years. Like, and he's like, what about us? And she really quickly calls him out on that and talks about the fact that like, you're a nice guy. You have a big heart. Or what is it? A million dollar heart and a nickel brain. And I'm like, that's a really great description of Jay. That, that was one of those weird things for me. Um, since I've listened to Kevin Smith's podcast for over 10,000 hours of my life, uh-huh. uh, that's been his go-to description of Jay for a long time. And I was like, Ooh, 
You took me out of it there for a second by having just to say that, because I'm so used to hearing you directly say that. But See, as someone who's never listened to any Smodcast, that that connect that I was like, oh, yep, that's a really good way of putting it. No, that's true, though. It's a great description of Jay and probably how he was able to put up with him for through through everything. <laughs> yeah. And Silent Bob's kind of a dumbass in his own right. He's just less of a he's a follower let's be honest silent bob is a follower Mm -hmm. they end up getting knocked out having or they end up taking the girl agreeing to take the girls to quarantine not quarantine uh chronicon chronicon thank you i tried to do quarantine instead of chronic sorry apparently there's things sticking in my brain takes the girls to chronicon we meet the new girls we have that weird scene with method man and Red man? Yeah. Meth and red. I loved how high as a kid, uh, but I really enjoyed those two making fun of how bad how high was. Because <laughs> it's a terrible fucking movie. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad we got the scene as it was. Uh, but listening to that to that commentary, I did get to find out what the original draft of that scene was supposed to be. And I really wish it would have worked out because it would have been all sorts of legendary. The original version of that scene was it wasn't supposed to be just Jay and Silent Bob and Method and Red. It was supposed to be all of the uh, all the iconic stoner duos. So those two Uh, Cheech and Chong, Harold and Kumar, Bill and Ted. Oh, I didn't think of Harold and Kumar. Wow, that would have been a scene. Unfortunately, they they couldn't work it out, but... Damn, that would have been... But that gives me hope for, like, maybe in the future. Maybe yeah. in the future. Because there is going to be a Clerks 3. Good. This movie has re-inspired his love of this universe, and I think he... It, this is a weird movie that, as I said, is I don't think is a very good movie, but is a great Kevin Smith moment. And I think it could lead to good movies. I think it could be a good intro to good movies yeah and the the clerks three it sounds pretty interesting and like it also is going to be kind of a lot of heart in it um Mm -hmm. and but happier because he did have a clerks three script that apparently was super depressing yeah and the guy that played randall didn't want to do it so it fell apart yeah jeff has had some issues with the way some of the things have worked out over the years and uh, but that's the thing. He's back on board, which is why Clerks 3 is going to happen. So, It sounds like after his heart attack, Kevin Smith had kind of a come to Jesus moment and has patched up a lot of relationships that had gotten kind of shitty. There was a period of time, especially five to ten years ago, where Kevin Smith was super difficult to deal with by the sound of it. Yeah, it comes through in some of his comic book writing. I- I've found um, his his comic book writing is super unreliable. Like some of it's amazing and some of it's terrible. Because that was that was some of the time period where he was kind of like most feuding with critics, and that was probably the time period where he was would have been most unagreeable to deal with. Uh, he was super feuding. He was paranoid all the fucking time. It was not a healthy period of his life. It seems like Kevin Smith has done very well, especially since he lost all that weight and went vegan and like 
he almost died and decided that he needed to fix his life. And suddenly he became someone that I'm interested in again because I had kind of written off Kevin Smith. Yeah, well, one of the big changes was uh, when he actually became a stoner after uh, Zach and Miri failed at the box office. And failed is kind of loaded because it made back its money. And I, it was the best performing Kevin Smith movie at the box office. It just did not mm-hmm. do what it was projected to do, which was like three times the amount. So, What do you mean he became a stoner at that point? Just started smoking a ton of weed? or Well, um, he actually barely, rarely ever smoked for most of his life. He had uh, time periods when he was younger where there would be like a summer or like a year where he smoked. So he wasn't unfamiliar with it, but he was pretty clean, no smoking or drinking, uh, good for for really big periods of his life. It was uh, while they were rapping on Zack and Mary Make a Porno that he smoked a couple bowls with Seth Rogen because Seth wanted to smoke with Kevin Smith because he made Jay and Silent Bob two of the most famous Mm -hmm. cinematic stoners ever. He didn't make those early movies when he actually knew what being a stoner was like. Hmm. This is at, this is the first Jay and Silent Bob movie where he's actually a stoner. Hmm. That's interesting. And so he smoked a little bit with Seth and then smoked a little bit while like editing the movie, but still not much at that point. And then the movie was projected to do like 60, 90 million and ended up doing 30. Oof. So it did half as well, half to a third as well as they thought it was going to do. And there was like, there's no reason to think that those projections were, would have been wrong either. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was like the perfect heyday for, for that kind of R rated comedy starring Seth Rogen from the guy that gave you clerks. Yeah. But for so for whatever reason, being excited for that movie and it just, I never saw it. I just, so same thing. Part of it was the marketing was hampered. Uh, a lot of places, no matter what the poster actually showed, wouldn't actually run an ad for a movie called Zack and Miriam Make a Porno. Yeah, uh, that was always going to be a difficult one. So a lot of places, it was simply Zack and Miri, which tells you nothing about the movie. Uh, there's a lot of really funny... They did a line of posters that... Uh, <laughs> It was like stick figure drawings, and it was Zach and Miri made a movie so salacious that all we can show you is this drawing. And people wouldn't show it, yeah. That's... I am glad that Kevin Smith is no longer in that point. I remember, because I was briefly on Twitter, and I followed him, and there was a whole lot of... He would just go to war with people at the drop of a hat. And it was fun when it was like the Westboro Baptist Church, but there were other times where I'm like, dude, you're just being an asshole. Like... Yeah, um, in the wake of Zack and Mary, he became a smoke-everyday stoner, wake and bake, uh, and that's when he started just doing stuff for the stuff that he liked for the people he knew would like it. On some levels, that was good, and then on some levels, it was, I don't know. I, I don't know, it gave me yeah. Tusk, and I love Tusk, so. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. And it gave me this, and I love this, so. This was a lot of fun. We've been kind of going scene by scene. I don't really want to do that, but I do have two more things that I want to discuss on this movie. Okay. Uh, the f- the first one, 
we're going to skip way forward here. There were some really good stuff really quickly. The, the bit where Jay is being an asshole to the girls and then they point out the traumas they've gone through and he's like, Oh fuck. It was a very strong, you know, million dollar heart comes through. And it was nice to see Jay actually like have to think about his actions a little bit. But the scene I want to talk about is the scene with Ben Affleck in it. Okay. So, Kev had pretty much finished doing this movie by the time they he mended like the, his relationship with Affleck came through. Can you imagine yeah, I, this movie without that scene? Because that was the this way this movie, movie would not was have supposed to be without this scene. No, that that scene is the beating heart of this movie, and is the uh, and is the scene that I cried hardest at. F- for people who don't follow Kevin Smith behind the scenes, Kevin Smith had a huge falling out with Ben Affleck. Largely because, especially during this period that we were just talking about, where he was first becoming a stoner and telling all these stories, he talked a lot of shit on Ben Affleck or told stories that he should not have told. Especially when Ben Affleck was becoming like big as an actor and a director and becoming like a seriously respected person. And here's Kevin Smith, the stoner, popping up telling stupid stories of Ben Affleck when he was 21. I would not want people telling the international press stories about me when I was 21. And they had a falling out. And it was never a super, like, go fuck yourself falling out, but they just, it it was made pretty clear that they weren't talking to each other or about each other anymore. Right, yeah. And then after his... Like you said, it wasn't like a go fuck you, you know, it it was something that was kind of naturally happening anyway, because Affleck was blowing up and Smith has his career. Yeah, Smith went through his weird phase. But from what I understand, I think uh, at least during the time that, Ben Affleck was with Jennifer Garner. She also didn't like Kevin. Okay. Although I don't know if that story has ever been told from what I I know, but I I guess she also didn't like him. So there was even more like communication just not happening. Probably didn't help. Mm -hmm. Um, But when they were talking about how he was filming reboot in an interview, someone asked Ben Affleck about it and he's like, Oh, I'd totally be on it. Because Affleck also, he went through a heavy period of alcoholism. He, his relationship with Jennifer Garner fell apart. He, it sounds like both of these men went through a pretty dark period around the same time in their lives in kind of different ways. Mm-hmm. And fell their, their friendship fell apart because of it. Even if it wasn't like a go fuck yourself, it was, they were very clearly not happy with each other. And apparently Kevin Smith's, I think, agent or something saw this interview where Ben Affleck's like, well, I hadn't been asked to be on it, but I would totally do this movie. Like, sure, I'd love to. And was like, you need to get a hold of Ben. Probably just being like, please put Ben Affleck in this movie. It makes it so much more likely we will make money. Right. Uh, Yeah. So Kev was going to tweet at Ben and uh, the gal that sort of runs his his production company, Jordan Monsanto, who is Jason Muse's wife and oh, was the officer that led them into the courtroom in the courtroom. Oh, I thought scene. I recognized her from somewhere. She was like, no, you just, you need to text him. Don't tweet him, text him. Uh, Kevin wasn't sure he well, still had his number, but it turns out the number he had still worked for Ben and that, and he wasn't even sure if he was going to do it still. And like his wife was also like, no dude, mm-hmm. do this. This has been eating at you for years now. And he, I, I, I read this and I don't usually read like, oh, look at what these actors did. But I did on this one. 
and he t- uh, texted him a quote from a king from Conan the Barbarian about like, as you grow older, what you care about. Uh, originally, you care about like riches and fame and blah, blah, blah. But as you grow older, you care about basically relationships. And he tweaked it slightly for making movies with the, the friends you used to have. And Ben Affleck tw- texted back. Of course you compare yourself to a fucking king. I will totally be in your movie. And knowing this story made this scene so powerful because it's so much that so much of this scene is Ben's character, Holden McNeil from Chasing Amy, talking about how much you can fuck up your own life. But when you look back on it, you see kind of what matters. And when you have kids, you realize what matters and you can kind of get the fuck over yourself. And as it seems like both of these people have had that experience over the last couple years, it made that scene all the more poignant. Knowing what I know about Kevin Smith made this scene important. Well, and by this point in the movie, like the whole uh, Jay and Millie relationship storyline is in full swing. And this only further hammers all that home. I don't yeah. know how this movie works without that scene. It's astounding that he was going to put it out without that having existed. Uh, the Jay and Millie scene, or not scene, but storyline, is what saves this movie. It is the only thing that really saves this movie, other than the fact that I like Kevin Smith. So, the, the also Affleck the scene, scene, I will say, just even though I knew, because I, I keep keep up with Kevin Smith news, I knew that it was going to happen, uh, knowing their history... Uh, and the fact that knowing that Kev is a joint guy, I sat down with a couple myself the first time I viewed this movie uh, and just smoked him throughout. By the time I got to this point in the movie, I was really stoned and really on my Kevin Smith feels, and just seeing Affleck made me start crying. But then when he reveals that the daughter he has with Alyssa is named Amy and the recontextualizing the chasing Amy, I fucking lost it. Yeah, the the thing that really made this work for me, because we've talked about it a little bit here, and I've talked about it a bunch before, I don't dislike chasing Amy. I don't think I would like it if I watched it today. Uh, but if you watch it in the context of when it came out, it was trying very hard to tell a sincere story about with Dick and Fart the jokes. LGBTQ community. <laughs> Yes, while still making while still being a Kevin Smith story, it was Kevin Smith trying really hard to make a story about people who aren't represented well in media, who weren't represented pretty much at all back then, but even today, gay representation should be better than it is. But the part that really made me be like, okay, was when I can't remember her name. She was in the first, like, four Kevin Smith movies. She played the female lead in Chasing Amy. Joey, Joey Loren Adams as Alyssa Jones. That's it. Having her be like, this is a story that should never have been told by a cis white man in the first place. Cis white straight man. And I was like, damn, that's a self-awareness that Kevin Smith, even five years ago, would not have had. Yeah. Uh, I liked that too. And I, and I kind of, I appreciated that. I would love for that reboot to actually happen. Yeah. A Netflix mini series of chasing Amy, but retold 
from not Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith could be involved. You could still have some of that Kevin Smith feel. And then you bring in real character or not real characters. I'm sorry. Real creators. That's the word I'm looking for. Wrong C word there. Real creators of the LGBTQ community. I think that would be amazing. It could be done. Um, but I don't know. I was just, that was the scene that I was most impressed with Kevin. And there were a couple of bits here where I was impressed with Kevin calling his past self out. Yeah. I will mention the other time I cried was actually a few scenes before. Uh, I was primed by that really, uh, the really intense scene in the van. And then after Mm -hmm. that, it moves into that bit where they're sharing the coffee and then, oh no, that wasn't the same. I didn't cry at that scene, but that primed me even more because you have the coffee and and Harley, Millie is just like, yeah, I just wish I could do this and this with my dad. And she's doing that with her dad. And I'm like, oh, you don't even know. And it primed me even more. And then when they go to split at Chronicon and she starts crying, I'm like, fuck. Okay, damn it. You got me, Harley. You got me. This leads to my final question, uh, or the final thing I really wanted to talk about. Of You told me you cried three times. I knew that the Holden McNeil scene was going to be one of them. Uh, that does not surprise me of the scene that you just told me. What was the other scene that you cried at? Oh, at the um, at the very end, once again, when Harley starts going, I seeing her start crying makes me that start final crying. scene is excellent. Really not going to go into it on this one because we want people to watch this movie. But it was one of the best scenes in it of just it. I think it helps that Harley grew up around Jason Muse. So there is a very real affection between the two of them there. Like they just text each other because they're friends because he's basically her uncle. Yeah. And that affection showed through in their acting here. Uh, Kev kind of talked about that in a couple of different places. He said, like, none of that was planned from Jason because Jason's not that good of an actor. He can't write. <laughs> he can't write. Jason gets emotional and just expect it to happen. But Harley has is becoming an actress. Like, that's what she does. She was in uh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, good for her. And she's done a couple other, like, indie movies and stuff. And she's got a band, The 10th. Is it the tenth? I believe mm-hmm. it's the tenth. They're not too bad. I don't know, I've, I've listened never listened to them. to them. I've been meaning to track them down. I might do that once we get off this. Uh, I've listened to them a bit. I like it. Um, it's not quite my vibe, but it's fine. I want to at least try it. Yeah. yeah. So, like, she can act. So she was able to cry on camera, and Jay, basically seeing his niece get emotional in front of him. That actually Made brought him out emotion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And that was the best scenes of this movie was when we saw a more human side of Jay. Uh, and I would and I also wanted to point out in the Affleck scene, the daughter, Amy, is Jason's daughter. I thought that might be the case because he's apparently a really good dad, like he was kind of a crap human being for most of his life who got who lived off the fact that he was Kevin Smith's buddy, which is OK. Whatever. I'm not exactly a financial success myself, but he had a kid and stuff from some of the stuff from the final scene where he's basically like, don't be me. But here's the good parts of me that you can be if you want to be. 
mm-hmm. felt very true. And I just kind of got the sense of like, yeah, I could see how Jason Mewes would be a good dad. Uh, yeah. I mean, according to Kevin, he's the best one he's ever seen. Because you basically get Jay 24-7 all to yourself. All that attention, that wanting to entertain. <laughs> <laughs> to a four-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, God, that's going to be difficult when they're a teenager, but it's great otherwise. Oh, last last thing I have, and then if you have anything you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I don't usually enjoy celebrity cameos, especially when celebrities are playing themselves. Like, it's fine. I don't give a shit. So, like, the 41 cameos in this movie. (laughs) No, I mean, like, when they're playing themselves, (laughs) not being, like... Oh, like somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Chris Hemsworth playing the... (laughs) The hologram? Virtual reality Chris Hemsworth was the funniest fucking thing. And him being like, don't kiss the hologram. Don't give the hologram fellatio. Don't hump the hologram with whatever parts you have. And the whole time, Harley Quinn Smith and the girl from I want to say Syria, but I'm not sure because I've only seen this movie once and it didn't stick. Uh, Aparna Brielle playing Jihad. Yes. Yes. And we'll skip over some of the problematic aspects of that, but okay. Other than her name, I thought that she played an interesting character and I want a movie of Millennium and Jihad and I forgot the girl's name again. I'm sorry. Uh, Soapy. Soapy. Yeah. I would love a Kevin Smith Fuskew movie of those three characters because I thought those three characters were good and had potential. I agree. But those two just doing like the raunchiest motions towards the Chris Hemsworth hologram the whole time as the hologram's like, please, you will burn yourself. Do not try and fuck me. Like it, it, it was a very good way of looking at how we tend to objectify celebrities. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This movie, like on top of just being an, a, a good movie about learning to be a dad and being a dad or being a daughter and a movie about everything Kevin Smith loves. I mean, he makes the joke when he's playing Kevin Smith in this Kevin Smith movie of like, after I had a heart attack, I decided to just make this movie with everyone who was sad about me having a heart attack. Yeah. Just guilted them into it. I'm like, that's exactly what this fucking movie is, Kevin. 100%. That's what this movie is. There were little bits here and there in this movie about kind of how to deal with being a celebrity and the objectification of celebrities that I thought was kind of fun, but I, I was not expecting that. I was expecting the other two parts. What did you think about the sheer amount of celebrity cameos? It worked for this movie for Kevin Smith making his post heart attack. I am Kevin Smith. I am making a movie about everything that I love about the movies that I've made movie. It would not have worked in clerks, which had or clerks Two, which had celebrity appearances up the fucking wazoo. (laughs) It would not have worked in any of his other films, but it worked as this. This movie is a celebration of Kevin Smith, and there are a lot of people that love him, either from a audience perspective like you and myself or from a cast and crew perspective, which you see here, you see the cast of comic book men, which was not a show I enjoyed, but a lot of people did. You saw most of the original cast of clerks. You saw, was that guy, the, the guy with a beard that he was talking to in a couple of scenes Um, of like, who the fuck are these people, man, they should have picked a better movie. Was that one of the cameramen like that you were talking about that started in clerks and got a whole career out of it? 
I'm trying to think of which guy you're talking about. It might have been in the post credit scenes. Oh, shit. Doesn't matter. But it just, it was so clear that this was Kevin Smith making the movie with his friends. And because he has so many friends in Hollywood, it didn't bother me as much as it would have in, I think, any other movie. Uh, what did you think of the stand bit? That is the bit that almost made me cry. Oh. Because uh, he was supposed to be in it. And it, it just <laughs> that little bit was adorable. And the fact that he's like, you know, this is dedicated to my friend and mentor, Stan Lee. Yeah. And then showing this interview with him and like, let's do a scene right now. And just Stan just keeps cracking the fuck up. <laughs> and just uh, I always knew those two liked each other. But there was a level of communication between them two. There was a level of back and forth that wasn't just you're someone I've met before and kind of liked. But that was you are my friend. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't see that a lot with Stan. We saw a lot of people that respected Stan for who he was. But there, uh, it, it was very rare that I saw people or that you see people with Stan that you're like, damn, these two legitimately are friends. As opposed to like holy shit, you're a legend and we're having fun together. Oh my god. Stan, so the fuck. get the hell out of my scene. Get me Jay. <laughs> that was awesome. I fucking died there. Uh, oh man. So yeah, I started this with this was not a very good movie that fell apart in a lot of places. And then we mostly talked about these things that made me happy. So Clearly, I have very conflicting feelings about this movie. I'll still stand by my original. And if anyone doesn't like this movie, I 100% understand why. Uh, is there anything else that made you happy? Just that we, that oh, we didn't God. hit? There, uh, the KKK scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. Chris Jericho. It, it, <laughs> it came out of fucking nowhere. Suddenly, they were kidnapped by the KKK. Who fucking knows why? I'm assuming it was from a plot thread of a different version of the movie that he kept in because he wanted to, like, tell the KKK to go fuck itself because he's been... I can actually explain this. Go ahead. Uh, it's because uh, Kev used to go to a lot of movies with his father uh, when he was growing up in the 70s and 80s, and in a lot of 70s and 80s road movies, inexplicably for some reason, uh, either the KKK the or Nazi or neo-Nazis would show up as some sort of bad guys. Uh, most notably blues brothers. I was going to say it's very blues brothers. Uh, I thought of the KKK scene from um, Django Unchained mm -hmm. during it. Kevin, the silent Bob yelling weird instructions at them to be confusing. I thought was very funny. Oh, I thought this movie. So that's um, that was uh, the Glengarry Glen Ross speech. The the close scene the always. Yeah. Always be closing. Always okay. be dodging. I knew it was <laughs> Or always be ducking. The, the scene was funny. I laughed at it. It came out of nowhere and it left out of nowhere. Like they could have cut the scene and there would have been very little lost from it. Uh, they showed in the post credits a, a moment that got cut, which was Jihad talking to Millennium when Millennium was like, these guys are fucking idiots. And she's like, idiots that have been on our side from the very beginning that I thought should have been left in the scene because it would have connect. 
or in the movie because it would have connected things a little better. Mm. But I enjoyed it because I'm a I'm an SJW, I guess. Like and people are like, what do you think about being called a social justice warrior? I'm like, what did I fucking care about representation and people having better lives? Yeah, bring it on. Sign me up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I enjoy seeing the KKK made fools of. Fuck. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah, that was fun. Plus, I like seeing Chris Jericho because, you know, like I said, Attitude Era wrestling. But it also didn't really, like, bring anything to the movie beyond that. I don't know. It was it was fun. It was not a scene that stuck with me nearly as strongly. What about you? Any other thing that we haven't talked about in our super meandering? We skipped, like, the entire middle of this movie, which this movie kind of skipped the entire middle of this movie. I mean, this one... This one is one of the ones that's kind of just made for me all the way through. Um, I was mm-hmm. super primed for it. My first Kevin Smith uh, was Jan Solid Bob Strike Back, which I don't know how I liked it so much looking back on it because that movie is 90% references to his other movies and I hadn't seen any of them. But me and my boy Angus that I mentioned last week... Uh, we watched that for the first time. Uh, later on, I saw Mallrats with one of my best friends, Joe, uh, and that just sort of cemented it for me. I was like, okay, these two things are good. I have to, I have to seek out the rest. Um, and it's, it's always connected. There's always been something there that connected his movies, not just because I liked them, but it connected emotionally in some way as well. Uh, I saw Clerks for the first time with uh, one of the best friends I made in college, Perry Shank. Uh, I started talking to one of my best friends, Jesse, who's been on the show because I heard him make a joke from the Mallrats commentary track. (laughs) Mm. Um, Wow, you're a nerd. Yeah. Uh (laughs) I mean, obviously, so am I. We're the generals of nerdery. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I but nobody with... just ever says uh, pro skateboarding's Jason Lee. Yeah, I did not know he was a skateboarder until I listened to that commentary track, actually. Me and him went out one Halloween as Jay and Silent Bob, and it's one of the best nights I've ever had in my life. We killed it. We won a costume contest. We fucking lit joints on stage and probably should have been kicked out of the place. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, took pictures with like 50 different people. It was amazing. You know, I also had a friend, my buddy Jason, who we originally wanted to be in this episode, but thanks to fucking quarantine, he's not here, who we referred to each other as hetero life mates for years. He's going to be the best man at my wedding. Like he's, he looks like Jay, which is funny because he's quiet as fuck. Mm -hmm. Or at least he used to look like Jay. Uh, He's still got the long hair, but everything else has changed. There is something about the Kevin Smith View Askew movies in particular that connected with people of the 90s, I think, is what it is. This movie is very 90s 90s feeling, by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Either Gen Xers who were young, not young adults, but like in their 20s in the 90s, or I was, I mean, I was 12 when the 90s ended, but still like that stuck with me. Mm Mm-hmm people who were very aware of the nineties. There's something about it. These movies that connect to them. 
parts of mall rats still connects to me very strongly as a giant comic nerd who used to spend a bunch of time in the mall, <laughs> which is funny because I fucking hate the mall now. But uh, I was a mall rat at a point in my life. Yeah. And uh, I never worked at like McDonald's or anything like that. But Clerks 2 spoke to me as someone who worked at a fast food joint. I worked at like a local one mm-hmm. in ways that few movies ever have. And even today, Clerks 2 still holds up as just as a movie of I thought my life was going to be different. And all the stuff that I was supposed to do, I fucking failed at. But it turns out my life is pretty good still. Uh, it's, you know, all the things that I was supposed to do, like, yeah, I fucking failed school a lot. I, I never made my big careers. I work at a fucking grocery store. That's fine. And I'm clearly not shitting on it now. But like there was a period of my time of my life that I was very much like the characters of Clerks 2. Where everything that was supposed to happen didn't happen, and I was really beating myself up for it. And then it turns out that that's okay. I uh, while <laughs> while we're on Clerks too, and I'm kind of also mentioning how I I'm biased towards Kevin Smith stuff anyway. I lost my virginity while watching Clerks too. <laughs> I saw my first in-person boob while watching Mallrats, so <laughs> you know. It, it Like I said, it all ties in, and I know I mentioned it on our very first episode, but I wouldn't have ever done any podcasting if I wouldn't have started listening to Smodcast uh, when I first moved to town. Uh, episode 52, The Crapture, and pretty much all of his podcasts since then. Uh, most of them multiple times, which is why I can easily estimate over 10,000 hours of listening to him. Jesus. I... Uh... That might sum it up best. Not that you lost your virginity to clerks too, which is hilarious. Uh, side note, maybe we should put a content warning at the beginning of this episode. Okay, can do. But, <laughs> um, but the, I think Kevin Smith appeals to people like us who might not be the most motivated people in the world, but we're capable people. We're good people. We make interesting things. I hope we make interesting things. I try. That it's okay that you are not always on this, like, I'm on the up and up career path, but you are just, that you are just doing your best to make a good, to to make the world a better place and to have fun while you're doing it. And Kevin Smith does those two things while making dick and fart and boob jokes constantly. And while I am not one for dick and fart and boob jokes for the most part, something about that super appeals to me. Uh, we could go into it more with, cause I'm sure we can talk about clerks at some other point, but I hundred percent want to do a clerks two episode. Yeah. But with, with his uh, clerks and clerks two and most of his, I mean, uh, almost everything He's one of the the creators that made it okay too and cool and fun to talk about pop culture in the way that a lot of us nerds already did a lot of the time. So, yeah, not just on the like he inspired you to podcast level, but this podcast that we are on now that we do that is one of the things I look forward to most in my week is you know doing this could not exist without Kevin Smith. Absolutely, I don't know. I feel like I could That's, I, I could still say a lot. There's a lot of just like little cameos that I want to point out. I have like three pages of notes, but we're already like two hours into this. 
Uh, and yeah, fucking, uh, it's not that hard uh, to go find all that minutia if you just go online rather than listen to me. So making notes for podcasts is always fun because you make just pages and pages and you're like, I'm going to use like four sentences of this. Right, man. It was in a lot of ways. I felt like this one was made for me. So I guess. Well, you kind of remind me of Kevin Smith and this one was made for Kevin Smith. So <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, do you have any last thoughts on this before we dive in other than just, holy shit, this movie was made for me? Nah, that's about it. That's what I got. All right. Check it out. Um, uh, part of me fucking loved this movie. Part of me fucking hated this movie. <laughs> Both of these things are legitimate. That's fair. Uh, that's fair. Do you have any recommendations for this week? Oh, man. I, I didn't until we brought up wrestling a couple times. <laughs> Uh, and now I'm going to recommend, uh, the 2014 documentary, I am Santa Claus starring Mick Foley, (laughs) also known as mankind and cactus Jack and dude love. And it is a documentary that is a look into the life of, uh, five different men who, play uh mall santas basically as their primary occupation oh i fucking heard of this and i was kind of assumed as a large bald man or not bald a large bearded man that someday in my life i'm gonna end up being a mall santa (laughs) it's it's touching man these guys they all have their own stories um the i i wish i could remember the gentleman's name but uh, the guy that when me and my friends would talk about this documentary, we just talked about as a big gay Santa is <laughs> adorable. Him and his re- uh, relationship with his partner and the way he so lovingly talks about him. And Mick Foley's kind of in the middle of it all, sort of uh, learning uh, what it takes to be a mall Santa and and learning these guys' stories. It's uh, It was a lot more touching and interesting than I ever thought it would be when I first sat down being like, what the fuck? Mick Foley is in a documentary about Santa Clauses? Fuck yeah, man. Super good. Okay, let's see. What do I got? I got minus. I was trying to think of something Kevin Smith related, and I got nothing on that front. But I'm sitting right in front of my bookshelf, which is why I keep recommending novels lately. I'm recording just staring at them. <laughs> I am going to recommend Agatha Christie's Poirot. Okay. Agatha Christie is the most successful mystery writer of all time. She's amazing. Uh, Poirot is her most famous character, uh, kind of Sherlock Holmes level, but doesn't have the same level of iconicness of Sherlock Holmes. She also did a character named Miss Marple, who I have not read much of. He is a tiny, fat Belgian detective who is all about, like, the behaviors of people as opposed to, you know, Sherlock Holmes is very much like the physical evidence. Mm-hmm. He is all about the nature of the person and the little gray cells of the brain. Uh, he is a just a dick. He's this fussy little man. I watched it on Mystery on PBS, but uh, it was a BBC thing. David Suchet, who is a very big British actor, did all of every Poirot story he recorded or he did an adaptation of every single one of them over the course of like 30 years. It's a ton of stories. 
Um, if you like Sherlock Holmes, this is very different, but it is also a... This is early 20th century instead of late 19th century, but still, this is a very fun, weird, classic murder mystery story. Most of them are short stories. Some of them are full novels. Uh, murder on the Orient Express is the most famous of these. Um, they did a movie a couple years ago with it that I haven't gotten around to seeing. So... I'm going to I'm going to have one more recommendation. Yeah, Mostly ahead. so that I can recommend it to you right now after you That's re- what I do a lot with these. Yeah. <laughs> after you recommended that. And that is the 1976 uh comedy mystery movie Murder by Death. I've heard of it, I've never seen it. Uh Murder by Death was written by Neil Simon, who was the playwright that wrote The Odd Couple. Okay. Uh, its cast is out of this world. Um, uh, you have Eileen Brennan, who was in uh, Clue and Private Benjamin and Taxi and Divorce American Style. And one of the very few films uh, that Truman Capote actually fi- shows up in. Uh, Sir Alec Guinness. Oh, wow. Uh, Peter Falk. Uh, James Coco, uh, it's when you mentioned Poirot is what what made me think of it because it's a parody of mystery novels. Yeah, uh, the setup is very kind of cluish. Truman Capote is this eccentric millionaire that invites uh, all these characters to show up, and he's like. Cool, let's have dinner. By the way, at the dinner, there's going to be a murder here tonight. You're all the best detectives in the world. Let's see if you guys can figure it out. Interesting. Alec Guinness is his butler, uh, James Sir Bensonmum. Peter Sellers plays Inspector Sidney Wang, based on Charlie Chan. Uh, David Niven. Of course Peter Sellers was in this. That's why I've heard of this. Hmm? I said, that's why I've heard of this. Peter Sellers. Yeah, David Niven and Maggie Smith. Uh, played Dick and Dora Charleston, uh, based off of Nick and Nora Charles from the Thin Man series. James Coco plays Milo Perrier, which is a take on Poirot. And he has a chauffeur named Marcel Cassette, who is James Cromwell in his very first movie feature role. Oh, wow. Uh, Peter Falk plays Sam Diamond, uh, who's... Uh, a takeoff of Sam Spade from Maltese Falcon. And uh, Elsa Lanchester plays Jessica Marbles, who's a takeoff of Miss Marple. And there is a deleted scene that has a Sherlock, but he's not part of the story. Fair enough. Uh, and even the opening credit sequence is done by Charles Adams of Adams Family f- fame. So it is star studded and fucking hilarious. And pokes fun at murder by death. Pokes fun at all of the different uh, tropes that occur in, like Poro stories and Miss Marple stories and s- stuff like that. So, perfect. Sounds like you should check it out. Sounds like I should check it out. Other things you should check out. Other podcasts on the Earverm Network. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, before you check them out, please hit subscribe on this one so that you keep getting it as we continue to talk about nerdy shit every week. Uh, but then you can head over to the website, generalnerdcast.com. 
That's where you can check out all of our back catalog or contact us. But up through the top, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. You can go check out all the other shows. Uh, Zach talks about war gaming along with war tactics war. <laughs> on the art of war <laughs> gaming. The art of war gaming. Uh, what do you guys got coming up now? Uh, we are starting. Hold on. The book is right next to me. Uh, Frederick the Great's Instructions for His Generals. It is about a guy that took over Prussia. Frederick the Great is considered one of the greatest generals of all time. So this should be exciting. I don't know dick about Frederick the Great, to be honest with you. I am going to be learning this as we go along, which is fun for me. That's fun. I already mentioned it towards the beginning of the episode, but you can check out me talk about horror movies over on Fried Squirms. Uh, like I said, we're going to be talking about Evil Bong, so... <laughs> should be exciting. Uh, did I miss anything? Oh, uh... Email us, generalnerdypodcast at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. We would absolutely love to hear reviews, good reviews, bad reviews. I'll still say that the first flame that we get, I will read live on the air. And then I'll be sad about it, but I'll pretend I'm not. But you'll be crying. Uh, oh, on the inside. Possibly the outside. I cry easily. But in the name of art, I'll try anyways. <laughs> in the meantime, we are your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed.